is a production of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. The podcast is also a product of the Academy of Teaching Scholars at the University of Oklahoma. Ideas presented in the podcast and data mentioned have been gathered through the speaker's research that at times may represent expert opinion only. Good morning and welcome to the podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Alex Quas. Dr. Quas is an assistant professor in the department of OBGYN here at the university and has completed fellowship training in reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Smith. On the podcast today, I'd like to share the story of Sherry. I met Sherry when she came to me for pregnancy care. I remember how nervous she was for the visit. You see, Sherry and her husband, Bill, already have two really cute kids and they were hoping for a third, but unfortunately had experienced a miscarriage at about six weeks gestation earlier in the year. Dr. Klaas, I bet this is a scenario you see quite frequently. Frequently, Yes, Dr. Smith. About 10 to 25% of women experience miscarriages at some point in their life. For most women who have early pregnancy loss, which we define as a miscarriage prior to 13 weeks, no cause is found. But you're right. These patients are usually very anxious to find out if the next pregnancy will go well. Well, unfortunately for Sherry and Bill, her ultrasound revealed an eight-week gestation with no cardiac activity. Sadly, I had to report to them that they had suffered another miscarriage. Of course, they were upset and had many questions. Of course, women who experience more than one early pregnancy loss are very upset, and they often feel as though they will never have a healthy pregnancy. Dr. Kwas, is what happened to Sherry normal? If she gets pregnant again, will she suffer another miscarriage? What Sherry has experienced, experienced is called recurrent pregnancy loss, or RPL. RPL is defined by ASRM as three or more losses prior to 20-week gestation, and it affects about 1% of women of childbearing age. However, ASRM also states that two pregnancy losses can now meet that definition. So while it's not common or necessarily normal, Sherry should know that other women have had a similar experience. As far as future pregnancies, we know that about 60 to 80% of women who experience recurrent pregnancy loss will go on to have a normal healthy pregnancy in the future, even without any treatment. Hmm. Dr. Quash, Sherry asked me if she should have any testing done to find out why she had these miscarriages. 
is this something that I should offer her or that should be done? When a woman experiences recurrent pregnancy loss, she should be informed of the options for evaluation and possible treatment. So when we look at this, we should start by talking about the causes or identifiable causes of a recurrent pregnancy loss. Wait, didn't you say that usually a cause for the miscarriage wasn't found? Usually no cause is found. But we know that for women who experience RPL, 50% or maybe even a little bit more will not have a known cause. But for the other 50% uh, or 5 out of 10, we may find a reason and we, that therefore we offer a workup to look for causes. There are many possible causes of RPL or recurrent pregnancy loss that can be evaluated and treated. For example, an anatomic cause. What would be some anatomic causes? Uh, for my patient, she's had two healthy pregnancies in the past. Could something be wrong with her reproductive organs? Well, even in women who have previously had live births, they can develop problems inside of the uterus like polyps or fibroids that can be associated with RPL. Uterine anomalies are found in 15% of women with RPL, which is double of what is found in the general population. And we can look for some of those anatomic problems in several different ways. For example, sonohistrogram, hysterosalpingogram, or hysteroscopy. Other causes of RPL are genetic causes. The patient and her partner may carry chromosomal rearrangements that are the cause of their miscarriages, even though both parents are healthy. So these kind of rearrangements can be call, uh, called balanced translocations and they affect about 3 to 4% of couples with RPL. The most common types of balanced translocations are reciprocal translocations, which involve the exchange of genetic material from one chromosome to another. They can also be Robertsonian translocations when the long arms of two acrocentric chromosomes erroneously share a centrosome. So carriers of balanced translocations are typically asymptomatic, and a chromosome analysis of both parents can be done by just taking their blood and looking for these translocations. Very good. Now, I've heard things like lupus can cause miscarriage. How do you decide to test for something like this? Well, if a woman has three or more losses prior to 10 weeks, or one loss, or at least one loss after 10 weeks, uh, they can meet criteria for antiphospholipid syndrome in conjunction with the lab testing. So in those women, we would perform an antiphospholipid workup. Okay. And that's especially if anatomic and genetic causes have previously been, been ruled out. The incidence of uh, positive testing for antiphospholipid antibodies in women with RPL is about 5 to 20%. So if Sherry or Bill have one of these problems, what could be done for them? If an anatomic problem is discovered, then we recommend fixing the underlying cause, so removing the polyp or the fibroid that is distorting the endometrial cavity, uh, usually with hysteroscopic surgery, or in the case of fibroids, sometimes myomectomy. Genetic causes can be uh, uh, overcome by either using donor gametes, meaning sperm or egg donation, or with PGD, which is pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, if, uh, but for that, IVF would be required. Um, for antiphospholipid syndrome, we use um, medicines like low-dose aspirin, 81 milligrams, or baby aspirin, and heparin. 
and that should be started as soon as the patient has a positive pregnancy test. Are there any other things that could, should be considered for this couple, other testings or treatments? Well, a simple thing to treat would be endocrine abnormalities, such as thyroid abnormalities. So, for example, we would draw thyroid function tests and uh, treat as needed because untreated hypothyroidism, for example, is associated with miscarriage and it can, can easily be treated. Very good. Okay, so let's say we do all of this workup and, and everything is completely normal. What do I tell my patients now? Just to keep trying or are there other options? Well, even in patients where we don't find a cause for the recurrent pregnancy loss, we have treatment options. So Bill and Sherry asked me about using aspirin or progesterone next time, right after they become pregnant, and about checking progesterone levels, which a lot of their friends have had done and they've read about on the internet. Does that help? Well, one thing that I tell patients that I would like to emphasize is usually low progesterone levels are the result of a miscarriage and not the underlying cause, and that's a misperception that um, often exists. So that's the first thing I tell my patients. In addition, there's no good data to suggest that empiric treatment with either aspirin or progesterone helps to prevent miscarriage in patients who don't have uh, things like antiphospholipid syndrome and achieve a pregnancy, pregnancy spontaneously. However, in our practice, if no cause is found, we usually do offer the patient vaginal progesterone supplementation until 10 weeks gestation because there's no major harm to it and there may be a benefit. Uh, we also offer our patients close monitoring with blood tests and regular early ultrasounds, uh, which you know can at least help from an emotional and psychological standpoint. And uh, reassurance that most women with RPL will conceive a live birth eventually is also very helpful to our patients. So what I do is I often review a chart with my patients that shows the chance of live birth according to the age and number of previous miscarriages. And that can make them realize that the odds of a live birth with the next pregnancy are, may actually be better than they thought. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dr. Kloss, for being on the podcast today. Um, thank you. And if you would like a transcript of today's podcast, please contact me at katie-smith at ouhsc.edu. That's k-a-t-i-e-s-m-i-t-h at ouhsc.edu. Stay tuned for further podcast episodes from the Department of OBGYN at the University.